Hi everyone, I'm Neil Shah from the Stress Management Society. I've been the Chief De-Stressing Officer here for coming on to 20 years now. I'm also the Chief Insights Officer at International Wellbeing Insights and we are now into our 30th year of Stress Awareness Month. So April marks our annual campaign to raise awareness around stress, mental health and wellbeing issues. And even though we've been working and campaigning hard for the last two decades to bring about positive, meaningful change in terms of the way that we look at and address mental health issues, it seems that today we are further away from our initial goal than when we first came into existence. And that's not through want of trying. And this is something that I find tragic and really concerning. And we thought long and hard about what our campaign for this year should be. And this is underpinned by some research that we have been looking very closely at, uh, which is the rise in mental health issues and suicidality over the last 40 or 50 years. And what's really shocking is there's a direct correlation between the increase of mental health issues and suicidality and the degradation of community, which has happened over the last 40 or 50 years as we're living an increasingly individualistic existence. And also what I found fascinating, there are societies, communities around the world that are still living quite traditional lifestyles, indigenous cultures in South America, Amazon jungle, Papua New Guinea, parts of the Himalayas, where they have low to no instance of mental health issues. It's not something that features a part of their society. But what does feature for them is a strong sense of community, of reliance on each other, working together for the common good. And that society will not function without the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, the guy that thatches your roof, the guy that fixes um, your, your, your shoes. And for us, if you run out of um, uh, groceries, you can go to ShopRite. If they don't have what you want, you can go to Walmart, you know, go to Tesco's for your bananas. If they haven't got any, go to Sainsbury's. Whereas in those societies, they kind of need to function together to ensure they have their basic needs met. So we think that this individualistic approach to society would be a good thing, which means that we are able to function independently, but the data isn't supporting that. It's showing that actually loneliness and isolation are increasing to the point in 2018, long before the COVID pandemic came along, we'd recognize chronic loneliness to be a mental health condition at which point the government appointed a loneliness minister. The first time in our history that Britain had a loneliness minister. It was a great idea, but sadly it seems to have been nothing more than a token gesture because things have got significantly worse since then. And a couple of years ago, uh, when I kind of started to recognize the true deeper societal impact of, uh, of the COVID pandemic response, I joined up uh, uh, and helped to, to co-found a campaign uh, through which I met someone that has now become someone I would consider to be a friend, um, Alan Miller. And subsequent to that, he formed the, uh, the Together campaign and the, the Together Declaration was formed with one main purpose, to unite people from all walks of life to, 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 to really oppose the draconian response to COVID-19 and the ongoing societal impacts of that. The, the need to push back against the rapidly growing infringements to our personal freedoms, which in turn, inevitably started to affect people's mental and emotional well-being and I'm really pleased I've really been looking forward to having Alan here with me to be able to spend some time really getting into this so Alan firstly welcome thank you so much for joining me today it's such a pleasure it's always nice to hang out with you thanks Neil thanks for having me here pleasure to be here so do you want to start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and your backstory yeah um <clears throat> Well, um, I was in hospitality for a long time, nearly three decades, putting on it. started off my work life really with the Acid House movement, putting on events around the world. And it was a very interesting time because it was the end of the 80s. Uh, and a lot of those things that you started talking about were those communities, strong relationships, um, you know, that sense of networks and people knowing where they were in the world and having clear identities. A lot of those things were actually attacked, we come to break down. You remember Margaret Thatcher's, there's no such thing as society. For whatever anyone thinks about economic policies, the, the whole notion that people live more insular, isolated lives. And in a way, for me, the acid house movement was a big antidote to, it was like an idea of everyone come together and joining, challenging a lot of those things, 
like racism and sexism, a lot of those things that were really endemic and now have been transformed in many ways. I know people still talk about a lot of that stuff, but anyone who was around then and is around now knows the quantum distinction between the two. And so I, that, that, I, I went around the world doing that, actually traveling. And then that led to me kind of being involved in music and promotion events. And we developed the old Truman Brewery in Brick Lane, which went on for about 20 years and very exciting and brilliant to, to be involved in that. Again, it was about doing something new, but bringing people together from all different areas and doing something cultural and creative, but also business innovative. And I kind of got involved. I set up something called the, the NTIA, which was basically to challenge some of the damages that were happening in nightlife. It was very successful in the sense that it got people to reconsider their idea of the benefits that came when you look at the risks and benefits uh, and how they kind of transform areas and become part of our cultural landscape and really impacts GDP and why they make cities better. And that all had gone really well until we got to the lockdown situation and everyone seemed to kind of jettison that and forget it. Um, and it led to being involved and meeting you and met some other brilliant people that I, we kind of realised that people were being siloed and not really heard individually and even if they had a big following. And so we kind of took a decision to kind of get together, call as many people together as possible from campaigns, organisation groups and all of that and say, can we have a bit more of an umbrella, a bit of a sort of more collective voice together with the aspiration that the public, we, ordinary people, should, can have a say in what's going on. So we, you know, together was launched in August uh, and with the intention of making sure we could have a, a bigger voice and that we could bring attention to the areas that were problematic. And we felt like we're just having impositions put on us. You know, there was no discussion about risks and benefits uh, and, we wanted to make sure that you know there was a different moment where we could have a bit more of a say and, and that's what that's what led to together really in the launch of it yeah just want to track back you you, you talked about kind of you, you know your formative years in the acid house movement uh mine were in the, the the jungle sea um and i was speaking to a colleague about this quite recently and you know at the time we were just partying and having fun but realize realizing now today sort of you know 30 years on it was a spiritual movement that we were coming together. It was a big fuck you to the man. It was like, we're going to party and we're going to find a field and you're not going to stop us. And, and actually people's willingness to come together, which transcended your, you know, your geographical location, your race, religion, none of that mattered. You'd be in a field and like, you know, or, or at some venue or the other, and, you know, just walking up to random strangers, what's your name, where you're from, kind of kind of thing. You know, that was just like the, the common way to open any conversation. There were no cell phones. There was no one taking videos. It was just people coming together with a common goal of just celebrating this moment in time that we have together. And I feel that there's been factors that have influenced the separation of humanity, of preventing us from coming together and quite literally during this lockdown period they stopped us coming together because there's something quite magical that happens when even when you've got random strangers that come together just for that moment to dance and celebrate or whatever it might be and that's where we you know when you started the together uh, um, campaign and you launched the declaration that was you know one thing that really jumped out to me that's what we need this this sense of togetherness which many of us feel lost the sense of, of, of loneliness and isolation, which I myself have felt, and I'm seeing the negative impact to society. You know, we know that long before the pandemic hit, the main cause of death for a man under the age of 45 was suicide. Um, it's rapidly becoming the main cause of death for a 15 to 29 year old. I know right now we've got round the clock news talking about the war in Ukraine, which is a tragedy and people are suffering. But the reality is, if we give it context, in 2020, 50,000 people died of all the wars on the planet to get put together. If you're adding human violence, that goes up to, you know, homicide, etc. that goes up to 400,000 people. It's more than a million people that take their own lives. 14.3% of all people that die on the planet do so as a result of their own hand. And why is it that we are still so uncomfortable talking about the real issues that affect our society and being able to come together to affect positive change. And I guess like, you know, there are probably a few questions in there, but the, the, the main thing is, what was your personal motivation to start the Together Declaration, to start this campaign? What, 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 what led you to think, I need to do something? Well, <clears throat> the thing is that it, it became apparent quite quick. Firstly, I didn't agree with the first lockdown and but I understood that a lot of people were nervous and scared and didn't quite know the whole situation. 
But, you know, if we remember back then, you know, nearly a million people volunteered to help out and do things. There was this real sense of people could come together and do something. And that got sidelined and pushed away and sort of like go and sit in the corner. And there was no real attempt to see if something like this would really be of benefit to society or if it had real harms attached to it. And <clears throat> the experience of being locked away and shut away is we're social creatures and it really has an enormous impact. And I've disagreed it from a point of view of policy about the efficacy of it, but also the consequences of, of it for families, for individuals, for all of us. No one's come out of that not having been affected. And there are obviously much more dramatic examples of how they've been affected, but it's affected everyone and impacted everyone. And it just the thing is that um, there's also alongside that been this real disregard and disdain for being open and transparent and honest and having strap lines. And rather than thinking, you know, what are the best ways to address some of these things and engaging people in a conversation about it, but having nudge, you know, nudge, have, using psychological methods to maintain fear and concerns rather than saying, look, there's this issue. It's a problem for us. We're not entirely sure how we do it, but let's all work together and work out, you know, should we do shielding? I always thought that, you know, protecting the most vulnerable was really important. I was never flippant about it. That's really serious and that needs to be done. But, you know, it's a really important question. Should the whole of society be locked down to attempt to do that? The irony, the tragic irony is that it's had an enormous legacy for all sorts of other health conditions and continues to do that in many ways, right? And society and for children and for jobs and families and everyone. And so you've got this series of legacies, these collateral damages, that, you know, when you weigh up looking at something like that, what's the impact? And I, I really, <clears throat> like everyone, you know, you, feel, you felt very isolated and that was understandable. But when that carried on <clears throat> and it kept happening, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> and then it became clear. And the real thing that inspired the, the, to get the together, get together was on the 15th of July, after we'd had like the lockdowns and everything that, you know, the Prime Minister said, right, it's Freedom Day, but by the way, we're going to have vaccine passports as well. And you just think, right, you know, this whole thing, and there was no foundation for that whatsoever. And it wasn't, you know, this whole we're following science, and, which is a silly term anyway, because science is a method of research and it's not something that's like a divine thing. And so it was much more to attempt to deal with that and have, you know, our voices and just realised that there was a lot of problems and just sidelining and marginalising the public and this whole relationship was problematic and really to assert the public voice and the idea that we as the public can be a bit more active. And, you know, the thing is about the last four decades is it's really that the ending of communities is really aligned also with the ending of political ideas and ideologies, because in many ways, whether you were conservative and you believed in like certain things and the queen and the state and all of that, or you were like a bit more radical and you had ideas about transforming things, there was a real sense of networks and hubs and being part of something. And, and what's a lot of the emptying out of all of those ideas has left everyone rudderless as a society. And <clears throat> increasing, there is, you know, that whole sense of the lonely individual that's kind of, that experiences the world that just as being vulnerable and there are things happening to them rather than agency creating, you know, humans that can transform the world and coming together in a, in a creative way that can dynamically shape things. That idea has gone away. And we really wanted to kind of recapitulate, re, re kind of post that, re, re get that idea out again, that we can transform things in a positive way, right? We can make things better together. And that means to have as many people in the public and others from all different walks of life all engaged in that project. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. And, and often it was down to the radical few that were literally sticking it to the man, that we're not accepting this. As, as we've spoken about in our, our earlier days, it would have been part of the, the, you know, the dance rave movement, it would be students, it, there would have been certain groups that would have been kicking back and pushing back and not accepting the way things are. And what I've noticed over the last five or six years, the, the, the usual dissenting voices have been nullified. And then there's been less people speaking out. And obviously it took us coming together as part of this campaign and various other people that were speaking out. But what would naturally have happened in previous societies has also started to diminish. We've seen obviously the students were being locked up into their campuses like, like, uh, like you know, some kind of a prison camp. We've, we, we've seen how people have been marginalised for speaking out, the cancel culture, etc. So this moment in time that we've arrived at, 
it's quite unique in the sense that we've always had challenges. We've always had people that are willing to push back and dissent against those voices. What's really happened, and I, 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 you know, you so rightly mentioned things like nudge theory and behavioral psychology, which were, uh, were, were tactics and strategies that were used by people in positions of authority to manipulate the general public into a state of fear. Some people have coined it as a mass formation psychosis. Um, and when you look at this in the backdrop of a global population that already was significantly suffering from mental health issues, and it was one of the most prevalent social public health risks affecting our society, that's not going to make it better. It's only going to make it worse. So what are your thoughts around the fact that the strategies that have been used to essentially give us this sense that our power has been taken away, our voice has been removed? Well, I think... <clears throat> I think the thing is that um, it's come about as a consequence of many things and also seeing like the end of the Cold War, a lot of people drew the conclusion politically that if you tried to change things, you could end up with something with far worse. So you look in the 20th century was often associated with, on the one hand, the Nazi experience and Dachau mm. and the horrors of that. And on the other hand, the Russian experiment, where ended up with the Gulag and, you know, millions of people being tragically killed and and... I think that for a long time there was an eclipse of that where there was a shadow where the sense that you know if you try and do things and change them they could end up in this horror horrific situation and i think <clears throat> what's happened is the history never really freezes though because humans are always searching for solutions and ways of doing things and but it doesn't mean that <clears throat> if you go for something it's going to necessarily be positive or negative it depends what ideas that inform them and what makes them what gives them meaning and the thing is that you know the experiment that we've had with you know the ideas of the enlightenment and democracy and freedom even though they've often been flaws with them and they've had to be addressed that's a really recent experiment and the idea that we can have freedom and autonomy and the humans are able to shape the world all of us regardless of where we come from what we look like where we're from and that's a very recent phenomenon it's only in the last you know 300 years and even within that you know, even like the Declaration of, of Rights and in, in the US Constitution, even that never got really made general till the 60s with the civil rights movement. It's been a constant process of people like asserting themselves. But it's an, it's an experiment that's a young one and it could go either way. Like there are some places where you can't do those things, right? If you're processing or having even these conversations, you're liable to certainly get taken down, but perhaps be put, put away somewhere. And it's really, really important that I think that we... You know, and I think they go hand in hand, this sense of who we are and our notion about ourselves and how much we're feeling well and able and transformative in society is also to do with how we work with other people and our sense of ourselves, not just being subject to things in the world or just vulnerable to everything, but actually life changing, transforming, creative beings that can work together and can strive. And in order to have that, you have to have you have to have robust freedom of speech. You've got to be able to discuss things. You've got to be able to say you know, I don't just think everyone's stupid or dumb or mad. You know, there's all these terms that people use that are really problematic rather than saying, well, I've got this idea, you've got that idea. We can engage, we're going to try and convince one another and transform things. And that's the spirit of the kind of idea, you know. No, absolutely. And I think you're right. Like, you know, it's, it's easy to be labelled a conspiracy theory. And if someone said something to me the other day, what's the difference between conspiracy theory and fact? And the response was about six months. No, obviously it was a joke, but the, the, the point is like, like you, you know, truth is not set in stone anymore. Like we're learning things and things are coming out, which means that the narrative changes and our ability to have open dialogue and discourse allows us to be able to explore things in a more meaningful way. That's how we get closer to the truth. There's always various different versions of events. And I think the, the challenge for many people, you know, I can say is something for, from a personal perspective has caused a lot of stress and has impacted my mental health, is the fear that if I speak out, there will be consequences. Now, I am going to speak out and I have no concern about the consequences to myself, but I represent an organisation. There are people that work in our organisation whose uh, daily lives and livelihood will potentially, potentially be impacted if there are people that don't like what we're what I'm saying because obviously I represent a, a, an organization that's working with companies around the world and there is kind of the experience I've had particularly with some of the activities we've been involved with you Alan like some of the the the, the, the protests and the marches where we've had people come together en masse and I, I had the, the pleasure and the good fortune of being able to spend some time with you at some of these kind of events 
the question I have for you is what did you learn about what happens when people come together to achieve a common goal, when people are standing together, whether that be through campaign messaging, through actually sort of marches or protests or whatever. What, what was the, the key thing you've learned from that? Well, one of the things that really made a big impression on me was how many people came out on the protests and how many ordinary people that had never been on anything like that before from up and down the country. And, you know, at, at the start, the media would say, like, there's a few hundred people or, you know, there might be a little... You know, whatever it is, they'd hone in on something that was really negative rather than it just made a huge impression on me and that that sense of spirit and coming together and wanting to engage with things. And I think that, you know, people, the whole discussion about humans and what we are, are we out of control and nasty and are we like termites and always doing bad things or are we, you know, agents that can transform the world that can, you know, that are really sophisticated with our consciousness, but there are some problems. And we generally, most people are decent, really want um, help one another and want the best. And so there's been an ongoing discussion that, you know, I think that's permeated every area of our lives that you can't trust people and they're out of control and bad and destructive. And whether that's to do with dating or bringing up children or the environment or whatever it is, it always informs that. And I think that's part of a reflection of our sense of where we came into this kind of cul-de-sac and we just, you know, and that. And I think that you can, now the opportunity is there. People are looking for some new things. A lot of people feel politically homeless and that they're looking for ideas, but there isn't really anything there. But when, you know, coming together, when you start doing things like you, you see with the campaigning and we've, we've had kind of regional ambassadors around the country, local hubs and people, as you say, come on the protests and the marches or get involved in calls to action. It gives people a sense, because at first people say, well, why are you even doing that? Why are you talking to the MPs? What's that going to do? It's all inevitable. And there's this fatalistic attempt, because that's based on our isolation, also a sense of powerlessness as well. But when they started getting involved in seeing that it can have an impact and changing things, they then transform their own ideas about that. And that becomes infectious, right? And they go talk to other people. And all of a sudden, you can see that you can have an impact. And I think that bit's really important to keep reminding everyone about what we can do and how we can shape it. And that in the end, it's up to us. We have a responsibility. If we want to see things differently, to get involved and do something about it, because it's really rather easy to complain. And one of the problems I've found is that when people who are against the, the lockdowns or other measures and restrictions when they you know on the one hand people say well you guys are all covid idiots or people use term like gammons and all that. on the other hand people sort of say sheep or i said this is a problem right with all our thinking it kind of reflects a sense that when you think it's all inevitable and there's nothing you're going to be able to do it's a bit like the people who are running things they are contemptuous of the public but on the other hand there's a sense of weakness thinking it's all just going to happen and it's not all just going to happen we can shape our own destiny and when people in australia and canada said to us well if you stop the mandates that's incredible because we just don't we're not sure that can be done and it gives a light to everyone else and it shines a light on people and there's a sense that kind of that all informs one another so you know i think that it's a really huge thing for people to kind of start getting involved with things and taking a stand and having exercising some of that autonomy. And if you want to curate the world, it's got to be you doing it, really. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I was furiously scribbling notes as you were talking, because there's so many things I want to pick up on, so many strands there that are of value. Power. If you look up the word power in the dictionary, when applied to a human being, it quite literally means the ability to do or act. It's not control, strength or influence. The person with the greatest power has the greatest ability to do or act. The definition of a victim is someone that is powerless to change or influence their circumstances. Now, in my humble opinion, both are a choice. There is always something we can do. We can always find ways to be able to navigate even though it's changing circumstances. Even if you're tied to a steak and bat, to be eaten by a cannibal, your power could literally be being able to take yourself somewhere else in your mind. Even if you physically can't do something, there's always some kind of sense of mental, emotional power. What has happened over the last couple of years, how many of us are feeling powerless? That we have no control or influence of what happens in our daily lives, what we do, who we do it with, when we do it, what even we wear whilst we're doing it. And that's been tragic. And I think as this has happened and people have gone into fear, I've seen a lot more narcissistic behaviour, individualistic behaviour, people are like turning on each other, if you don't agree with the accepted narrative or what that person believes, then you are the enemy and you must die. And I've literally had people say things like that to me. 
And what is fascinating is having spent time at some of these kind of events and protests and you know activities where people were coming together with a shared vision of creating, as you said, curating a better world and being that beacon of light. The one thing I've noticed is people from all kinds of backgrounds and walks of life. It's not just you know crazy liberals or you know you know people on the far left or anything like that. It's people from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of walks of life, all political persuasions, all religious persuasions, all races, religions, ages, children. I've seen children out to these these marches, and that for me showed me what community is about that people, whether we agree, we support the same football team, we eat the same food or pray to the same God, it doesn't matter. Because the reality is wherever in the world we're from, the vast majority, so I'd say 99.9% of us want the same thing. We want to have, you know, safety, shelter, you know, time with our family, enjoy time with our friends, some social activity, eat nice food. I mean, we might express that in a slightly different way, but there is way more that we have in common than separates us. Yet we've arrived at a point where we tend to focus more on the things that separate us than ever before in history. Yeah. And, and the thing for me that has been lost, and it's interesting because we've been doing a lot of com- uh, work around sort of the, 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 the die. We call it die. A lot of people call it EDI, so equality, diversity, and inclusivity. But for me, that's missing something. And the bit that is missing is the B, belonging. In any well-functioning society, we are ultimately tribal creatures now i know we use the term tribal in a negative way but there's positive aspect aspects that's that sense of belonging that coming together whether that's in the stands of a football stadium and for me like last year at the euros be able to be in a stadium of 60 70,000 other people it was almost a religious experience i don't mean to cause any offense to anyone when i say that but the england germany game where there was six it was only like three quarters full but everybody singing the same song at the same time was one of the most emotional experiences I've had in the last couple of years because it was like we were together again. Yeah. Well, what you've described is, in a way, goes to the heart of one of the problems, which is that the the sense of authority from the past has gone and also the sense of belonging and a range of things, so like tradition, and but also new things. People always have... Now, you can't talk about tradition without all lots of negative connotations, but there's all sorts of things that come with tradition and culture that are important. And also this sense of we're more defined by our differences than by what our commonalities are. And that has become really, can be become really divisive. I think in America, you can see that much more, along with a sense that if you don't agree, as you were saying, it's not someone who's to be convinced of something, but you're still fellow citizens. It's actually that you're such a threat <clears throat> And, and they're beyond the power and you can never convince them and they must have something wrong with them. And you start seeing people as evil and you can't really engage them in a discussion. And that leads to all sorts of things. So on the one hand, censorship and saying you've got to shut them up, but then even far worse things as well. And it just strikes me that, you know, like that experience you had at the sports stadium, even that is now, that sort of thing is sometimes described in negative terms as though we're all like these, you know, particular kinds of creatures that, and actually, I think it's really important that people stand up and talk openly about the great things about coming together and why. Because in the pub, in the in the kind of discussion about the public, there's always been this sense since the modern period, since industrialization, that individuals are right. But when you get people together, the public, whatever, the masses, they say like the great unwashed, this sense of them being dirty and out of control and potentially dangerous. And that was always a fear of their political capital and a sense of nervousness around around what they could do and it was often psychologized and other other things like Gustave Le Bon and others talks about the crowd psychology and almost like they take this life upon itself and rather than thinking that we're all individual agents that can that the 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 whole is greater than the sum of the parts and that we can actually be really effective and transformative now we all know when we know individuals there are really brilliant amazing people but often when you talk about policy or whatever whenever it talks about the public or people it's often in very negative terms or sense they need to be restricted and that's why in the lockdown in the lockdown a lot of these trends were happening before i'd seen it in nightlife where licensing where the whole public was treated as though they were potentially dangerous and are a problem to be limited but it went on steroids in in covid it just like kind of blew up and i think that bit in terms of us thinking about who we are and talking about who we are and what we can do and who we can be is really important to get a hold of that and that the public and ordinary people can are, are really really important and vital and in fact you can't have a dynamic society if that's stagnant and if that's not engaged 
Uh, listen, I, I totally agree with you. And it's, this is not new stuff. You know, what did Machiavelli teach us? In, um, the, the, you know, if you want to defeat the enemy, make sure they're fighting each other so they're not fighting you. You know, the, the Roman strategy of divide and conquer. This has been going on for 2,000 years. This is not new stuff. Um, you know, we have access to all the information in the world through the internet, yet we're still repeating the same patterns that destroyed previous civilizations. And I think there's something really poignant. You know, it was kind of like, you know, the Romans had bread in the circus to keep the masses entertained. And yeah, we've got sport, but there's something really interesting about sport. In particular, football and rugby for a lot of men is one of the few places where it's safe to fully express your emotions. And obviously one of my big passions is, 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 is men's mental health in particular, because I came into this field 20 years ago off the back of a breakdown and an attempted suicide. I know what it's like to be in that state where you have nothing left and the emotional pain you're in is so great that you don't want to be here anymore. And one of the few spaces that gave me that sense of connection, but also it was okay for me to express myself. I could cry my eyes out and F and blind and no one would bat an eyelid. And last summer I had the opportunity to do that freely. Like, yes, screamed and left and blind. And in the final year, I cried my eyes out. I'm, I'm, I'll put my hand up and happily admit that. I have no shame in that whatsoever. First time in my life that, you know, our country got to a final and we came that close. And yes, yeah, so people talk about the negative aspects of that. But the fact is, there was the sense of connection. I will remember that summer for the rest of my life. I had time with my friends. I was like, their sense of unity. It was the the sense of relief after two years of being isolated and shut down. And the reality is this, the one thing I've realized is there's still a bit of a hangover. There are, even though, you know, technically we have no COVID restrictions anymore, the long lasting emotional impacts of this are not going to go away for, for some time because there are people that are still fearful of reinvention because they've been indoctrinated with this belief like you said about the great unwashed, you go out and you're going to catch something and you're going to die. Um, you know, children that don't remember what their life was like before this even started. We saw the report from, from Ofsted that came out a couple of days ago, which has shown very clearly that there are children that, that their whole entire life will potentially be impacted by the fact that they don't know how to interact with another human being. They get scared. They can't recognize facial movements because the vast majority of humans they've seen around them have been masked. We're starting to see the after effects that our last is and on negative impacts that that's going to have on society. I guess, like you know, what are your observations on this? And, and, and moving forward, what do you think are the biggest challenges that we are going to face as a society as we try and reconcile the events of the last couple of years and beyond? Because obviously, this, this started long before COVID hit. That just exacerbated a problem that already existed. Yeah. Um, so what do you think are the challenges we face? And then we can obviously get into sort of, you know, how can we do something about it? Well, I think that um, there are still legacies that we need to address. Um, everything from, uh, you know, that there's all sorts of things that have been wrapped up in this situation uh, with COVID and the, the, the way things have been treated. And I think that we need to sort of have a reckoning about that. You know, there is a public inquiry that's being done and people should contribute to that to, get, to kind of get clarity and transparency. And you need to have an open, honest discussion and things need to be addressed not least so that you can't have a repeat of them again. I mean, we're also going to be supporting an independent version of the inquiry as well, but that's really important. And I, I think that more generally, there's all, all sorts of other issues that, about how the public is treated somewhat contemptuously. And that's whether it's the online safety bill and freedom of speech, uh, and the idea that it has to be regulated by some big tech in Silicon Valley rather than you know just having open debate. Uh, or if it's through the policing bill and the idea that people can't get together on a demonstration, uh, you know, if you're too noisy and all these kind of egregious measures that in a way reflects the weakness actually from leaders, because this is nervousness of a sense of like the healthiness of the body politic. And I think that the more people can articulate some of those things and stand up for them together, it's important. There's obviously children and the impacts on children, uh, uh, preschool age and school age, has been really significant and, and it's ongoing and it needs to be recognised and then addressed. But I think one of the things as well is we have to have an upbeat sort of engaged sense of what's possible as well, because we can end up projecting our own fears and concerns and having them reinforce the problem. So I think we have to have a reckoning and a recognition, particularly with children and what's happened throughout all of this. And at the same time, give them a lead, something that was missing for much of this period, 
where adults show them the way to be and and get them engaged. And, and it's tough, right? There's no one, you know, this there's been a lot of impacts. It's like that's the understatement of the year. But at the same time, we I think we need to have a sense of courage and bravery and openness in the sense that, you know, we have to, we can make sure that we can inform the kind of things we want to see happen. Uh, and that's kind of really crucial. And what kind of society do we want? What kind of country do we want? And the kind of the, the, the victories of the past that we are the beneficiaries of, we're the custodians of, we sort of stand on the shoulders of other people that, you know, they fought and died for the ability for us to be able to say what we think and vote and, you know, get together and protest and campaign. This isn't something that's really important. We have a responsibility to do that and engage others in doing it. And I think that's really important. And anyone that's frustrated or angry or, you know, concerned about both what happened and also where subsequently, that's a creative, constructive way that you can be involved in trying to have an impact on, on the shape of things afterwards. And absolutely. And, and, you know, I do want to finish on a positive note in terms of sort of, you know, how do we move forward in a more positive way, Let's, you know, to have time to focus on the solution. And, and you know, the, it's impossible to ignore that every single one of us have been impacted by what's happened over the last couple of years. It's affected us all. So we all understand the pain of the problem, some affected more than others. Um, and, you know, myself included, it's been a very tough couple of years. And you know, even more recently, that like one of the, 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 the most tragic consequences of the last few years is sadly, you know, just more than a month ago, I lost my best friend who, whose mental health got to the point where he couldn't face being here on, on, on this planet anymore. And even though I do this work and I've been doing this work for 20 years, I could write a book about what it feels like to be punched in the face. I could run seminars and workshops to prepare people for being punched in the face, how to, to deal with that, how to handle that, how to recover from that. But none of that actually prepares you for actually being fucking punched in the face. And, yeah. um, you know, having had that direct experience, I could support someone else going through something like this, but it's like, I, I have no idea how to, to navigate this other than to know that the one thing that has brought me comfort is the people that rallied. Not everyone, but the people that came together and said, we have no idea what you're going through, but we're gonna to come together and we're gonna we're gonna navigate this as a collective. And that made me realize how important, how crucial that sense of community is to our ongoing well-being, our, or potentially our ongoing survival. Mm as a species and i don't say that lightly there are many problems and challenges that we are facing but i genuinely believe none of them can't be overcome if we don't come together we have such great potential if we base our views on humanity on mainstream media social media hollywood etc you'd form a pretty fucking dark view of humanity. Like, we're all horrible. We all want to kill each other. We're all, you know, nasty, horrible people. But you and I both know, and we've both got enough direct evidence, as I'm sure everyone has, that is absolutely not true. There are incredible, wonderful human beings that care deeply, that want to do better, want to make a positive difference, want to leave a positive legacy. And I've seen that myself. I know you have because I've been sat next to you on calls or with you in person, seeing that in play. Yet we don't hear those stories because if we heard those stories every single day, maybe we'd have a different view or a different perspective on humanity than the one that currently many of us have formed. And it's really interesting. I was um, uh, listening to a guy called Mo Gaudat. He's kind of, he used to be head of Google X and he's basically his son died tragically at the age of 20 from a, um, and some medical ineptitude from my understanding he dove into this whole journey around what is happiness he came up with this formula for happiness which is this life experience is equal to or greater than your expectations right um so if you have a particular expectation your life experience is lower than that you're going to be miserable so it's, it was quite a fascinating approach but his backstory is uh head of google X and ai he's basically one of the the, 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 the probably the most uh, highly experienced people in the whole AI field on the planet. Um, and he came in, he gave a really interesting kind of perspective, which is right now, AI is like infants that are just learning to walk and talk. He reckons, and he's probably one of the best equipped people on the planet to make this assumption, that by 2029, we'll get to the point where AI reaches the point of self-realization where it can pass the Turing test, where if you were talking to me and we had another colleague here that was not a real human being, was AI, 
the parts of the Turing test is you wouldn't know which one's the real human being and which one's AI. Yeah. So that's the point where they uh, they've self-realized, they self-actualized, they can procreate, and you, you know, they're masters of their own destiny at that point. That's not 50 years down the line. That's like in a couple of years from now. By 2045, he suggests that um, AI will be a billion times more intelligent than humanity. Give perspective on that. We are a billion times more intelligent than a fly. So AI will look at us like we look at flies. Now, we also know Elon Musk has put a network of satellites up there, called it Skynet, tongue-in-cheek, the same network of satellites from the Terminator films. If AI right now are learning about humanity, they will use the technological mediums that are available to them, like social media, like mainstream media, YouTube, etc., etc. Based on that, what kind of opinion is AI forming about them? And his whole suggestion is, if we want to prevent ourselves from having like a Terminator takeover, we need to be better parents. We need to be setting a better example. We need to be showing a better example of humanity, but not just for AI, for our children as well, because children are growing up today with a perspective of like the planet's going to die. People are horrible. They kill each other. There's wars, disaster, et cetera, et cetera. But we both know, and I'm sure pretty much everybody listening today knows that that isn't true. You have seen enough examples of the truth of humanity. And we are great, creative, loving, compassionate, empathetic beings when we want to be. And our job will be to show more of that. And that's one of the main things that I really wanted to, for us to be able to finish on today. On today is why is it important that we come together and show a better example of humanity to fight for the things that are important, not just for ourselves, but so we leave this place in a better state than we found it. So we don't put more young people into the ground. We're not losing people unnecessarily. And we can really start addressing one of the biggest pandemics on the planet, which is the mental health one. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is that, I mean, you said a lot there and there's a lot of really interesting, um, challenging ideas. One thing I would say is that our sense of dystopia and the fear of technology is not a new thing. And we've seen it with Frankenstein and we've seen it with, you know, the sci-fi movies and sci-fi novels, 2001 AD and a range of things where the, the machines are out of control. And that reflects a sense of our own fear and anxiety and projected onto things, you know, some of it was entertaining, but it's very interesting when some of those ideas had, a, you know, sci-fi hasn't always been like that, but what you know is that culturally, even like fiction and literature ideas are shaped by the prevailing norms and sentiments. And a lot of the things that happened with both the First and the Second World War informed a lot of those ideas. And in the modern context, there is this sense that things are gonna get out of control with AI, it's all outside, but it's, again, it's about control and it's about agency and autonomy and that we can curate things that we can do in a meaningful way without them getting out of control. And there is one thing about getting consciousness and all of that, it's a big statement. And I think that, without having a whole conversation about AI, one of the things is that we have, I think what's important is that we give a sense of all of our important value in contributing and, and, and doing things locally, regionally, nationally, together, taking, stand up, taking a moment. It could be for anything, right? It could be just reaching out and just reaching out can be a lot. Just doing that, right? And you can, with your local community, there's all sorts of people that, you know, we all know that, just even that little engagement and just checking in on how they are can make a huge difference, right? And we live in a world where we're often like, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And there's an element of that. And then there's beyond that, it's like, what if we want to see things happen in a way, it's incumbent on us to be part of that discussion and that dialogue. And it's, I think there's a huge opportunity um, to really shape things, you know, in a way that can be of benefit and we all are engaged with that. But also with any opportunity, there are risks, right? There are risks that it, it could go, it wouldn't go that way. But you know, you can be sure that one thing is absolutely guaranteed that if you're not involved, what you want to see happen won't happen. Because unless you want to, unless you take responsibility for shaping that and making it and designing it. So I think that's the bit, right? That's the opportunity, that's the challenge for all of us. And for people to actually, you know, getting engaged in that and think, what kind of, what do we want to see? How do we want our, our voices? How do, and for us at the moment together, it's important that we have accountability with elected representatives and there's a sense that they take the public serious, seriously. And we're going to carry on campaigning around that idea and also around key issues. But, you know, the more that we can have a sense that we've got common interests and we shouldn't be divided and we can come up with solutions in a way that's meaningful together without 
you know, doing some of the things we've seen in the last couple of years, that the more, the better that will be. And the more likely we can shape the direction of something and, and you know, make sure that we curate the kind of potential possibilities that we'd like to see. So and, and, and forgive me, I wasn't actually directly focused on the AI issue. I'm not an expert in that, but it was more, how are we putting out more positive examples of humanity, whether that's for AI or for children or whatever, it, yeah. you know, like, as they said, there's no such thing as a bad dog, only a bad parent or a bad child. There's only a bad parent. And it's, I know that, you know, they're heavily influenced by their surroundings and the the, the people that are, are shaping them during their formative years. And I think that the whole AI story was a great example of that. It's the formative stage and like, we can basically show them a much better example of, of what we are. And, and I guess that's where we do seem to have lost this, the, 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 the benefits that, that strong communities bring. I grew up in Kingston upon Thames and um, Kingston has one of the oldest markets in, in, in London. Um, I'm not sure if it still exists because I, I moved out of there when I was 12. But my granddad, we used to jump on the bus and we used to go to Kingston Market a couple of times a week. Um, I'd go with him on a Saturday and sometimes after school. And, you know, he'd walk around the market and it'd be the same bloke he buys the vegetables from, the same lady he buys fruits from, he'd go to another stand that might get some bread from or whatever. And he knew them and he'd stop and have a chat and they would talk about stories and upbringing and whatever, have a bit of a gossip. And sometimes on the way back, he'd stop at the pub, he'd have half a pint of beer and I'd have a can of Coke and a bag of crisps and he'd talk to the, the, the person in, 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 the, in the pub. And it was people knew each other. The people cared about each other. Like, you know, even though from different backgrounds, and my, my granddad was an immigrant from Kenya and his ancestors were from, 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 from India. But the fact is that you're able to come together because there was that familiarity, that recognition. We were part of something, that sense of belonging. And I think that for me, right now, you shop in a big concrete block with 300 staff and you're never going to see the same person. You have no relationship beyond the transaction that is taking place in that environment. And now a lot of that it doesn't even happen in that way anymore because it's coming to your doorstep as a delivery. So we are losing some of the benefits of that community. And why is it important that we start to reinvigorate that sense of community and the benefits it will bring? I think, well, I think the thing is that we have to be, sounds like such a cliche, but it's true. If you want to be, you need to be part of the change. If you want to see it, you've got to be it. And, the, you know, at one level, community and society came has come out of all sorts of different things. And I just think that the, the best way to be able to do it is start encouraging everyone to you know exercise judgment take a lead think about how they can organize locally you know it's, it can be daunting people think what can i do you start getting small steps get involved have a say there are all sorts of things that you know people can influence and you know begin to shape things in a way that that, that can happen and i think that's the thing and people in that have courage and bravery they're really important because Sometimes it can be daunting, but like with everything, right? If you put yourself out in that space, all new things develop and come about. And I think it's a process and, you know, creating a really robust sense of relationships and community in a world that's really being transformed all the time is a really exciting prospect. It's quite nerve wracking as well at one level because you think, well, how does that work? But it's also, there are lots of brilliant things. I mean, one of the things about contemporary society is that often people talk about it in really negative terms. And we actually, despite the terrible situation in Ukraine or what's happened in Yemen, which very few people talk about, but I mean, in like Syria and Afghanistan, the general trend has been we have far less wars than ever before. People have more economic wealth, even though there are still very specific examples where that's not the case. But all sorts of things are moving, have moved in a positive way. It's, uh, but what's really gone backwards is our sense of what we can do about things and how we can shape things in a positive way. And that's what I think we can all resuscitate. That's the uh, dynamic, exciting prospect for if people want to do things and, and and start getting involved and it's like anything you start it start getting involved and then that, that can lead to development take small bite-sized chunks and get involved we'd love everyone to get involved together to get involved locally nationally campaigning but you know that that's true that's as true of doing things in your local community as well helping out doing the thing i think ideas are important that, that can actually challenge this sense of stasis or this sense of things just going badly and going downhill and that we can put ourselves at the heart of things and, and make a change. Absolutely. And you know what? 
I, I totally believe that society community is not done to you or for you. It's a collective journey and we all have a role to play. We will all contribute to either working together to create the world we want to live in or by default, we'll end up with the world that we don't want to live in. And this is where, you, you know, I think this for me is an opportunity to, to, to put in a call to action is what kind of world do we want to live in? What kind of world do you want to live in? And what are we as individuals willing to do to start to shape that, to curate that, as you, as you so rightly said? Because, yes, there are challenges, but I genuinely believe that we have the wealth of knowledge, expertise and talent on this planet that I genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, believe there is no challenge that is insurmountable. There is no problem that we can't solve if we are committed enough to being able to find the solutions to the challenges that we face. And this is really where I think this opportunity to find this moment in time where we can bring about this sense of togetherness, of being better together, this, this, this opportunity for us to feel like a sense of belonging and a commitment to the world that we want to be a part of rather than the one that we've already by default found ourselves in. So Alan, uh, you're obviously doing some incredible work. If people want to find out more about the work that you're doing with the, uh, the Together campaign or sign the declaration or get involved, um, what can they do? Where can they find you? Uh, how can they get involved? Yeah, if you go to, you can go to the site togetherdeclaration.org and that's got sort of videos and campaigns and information about what we've done and where we're going. And also on Twitter at TogetherDeck and on Instagram at Together Declaration. We're on all the platforms actually on all social media, but yeah, come take a look and get involved. Sign the declaration, you part of them list. We, we send that information all the time to people and, you know, take that step. And last question from me, um, obviously it's a stress awareness month with the theme being community. What is your final thought about uh, how community is so important with regards to mental health, but with regards to us working together to create the world that we want to be a part of? I also think it's important to, because the word stress is interesting, comes from an engineering term and it was used, it was taken from engineering and then begun to be applied to people. One of the reasons in that psychological context that happened was it was also a time where people thought more and more that they might have less other solutions coming together collectively to, to impact things and I think that we can remind ourselves and one another about how how much we can bring a value to things and how that you know we can shape the world we don't just have to be susceptible to impacting it and even the idea that life is stressful it's tr it's true that it's challenging and it has opportunities but partly that's the way that we construct the idea and if we can support one another and remind one another we get a lot of benefit from doing that and we can champion that some more and I think that's the thing about how we can turn potential challenges into opportunities and be positive with one another about that and support one another in it. Fantastic. Alan, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your valuable time today. And yeah, look forward to our next chat. Thank you, Neil. Really appreciate it.